Leipzig, Germany, 2010. Biologists, led by Svante Papo of the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology, make a stunning announcement. They have determined that early humans not only coexisted on Earth with other more primitive hominids, they also mated with them. But even more astonishing was their finding that another as yet unidentified species may also be represented in human DNA. Up until now, most people have been familiar with the typical DNA model of human evolution in which you have a very nicely defined progression from previous types of human or hominid life up to anatomically modern humans. That's not true anymore. And what we're seeing is evidence that there could have been interbreeding with what the actual mainstream media is calling mystery species of humans. There's a big debate over Neanderthals and others whether they have sexual contact with humans. But if there were a primates already here who had evolved by Darwinian evolution, it's not a big step to take the next step and create a cross. An anthropologist from the University of Wisconsin, Dr. John Hawkes, did a comprehensive analysis of human DNA going back for many thousands of years, and what he found was astonishing. If you look at the DNA from someone in 3000 BC, and you compare that to the DNA of someone alive today, it has changed no, by 7%. So Mapping the human genome, Dr. Hawks found that in the past 5,000 years, Wait, our DNA has evolved uh, at a yeah. rate okay. 7% in 5,000 years. So, um... Let's see. Um, probably, what would it probably work out to about two hundred thousand or something? Just like, you know, be my guess. Jeez, chill out, guys.
Um, yeah. 100 times greater than any previous 5,000 year period in our history. So what happened in the last 5,000 years that altered the structure of human DNA by 7%? Is it possible that extraterrestrial humans interbred with us sometime in the last 5,000 years and that could account for these monumental changes in the structure of human DNA? Could it be that our ancestors are not only hominids who lived here on Earth, also beings from beyond our world? Ancient astronaut theorists claim that evidence of this can be found in stories throughout history that depict humans mating with gods. Throughout world cultures and mythologies, this idea of otherworldly gods, supernatural beings, demons, having sex with humans, is very, very common. The way that we interpret that experience depends on the cultural and religious factors around us. We can read about these accounts of all sorts of weird beings who had their way with humans. All we have to do is to approach these stories and look at them from a modern perspective to eliminate the always suggested symbolism and look at these events for what they potentially really were. Encounters with extraterrestrials. There is abundant, undeniable evidence of human and extraterrestrial interbreeding. It's in so many different cultures. To suggest that it's all a conspiracy theory or a myth or a fantasy is completely illogical. But if extraterrestrials have, in fact, been mating with human beings since ancient times, what might their purpose be? Ancient astronaut theorists believe the answer can be found in the biblical stories of the fallen angels. There are references to scriptures to rebellious angels. Trouble came to it, found the daughters of men attracted them and married them, which is to say had sex with them and produced offspring. But God was not happy about it. The unhappiness of God about it doesn't appear in Genesis so much as it does in the extra-canonical Old Testament book of Enoch. In the book of Enoch, it actually gives the numbers. It says 200 angels disobeyed God and came to earth and then mated with human women. In the book of Enoch, these beings from outer space, they wanted to have sex with beauties on earth. So they all came together and they swore we will do it, even if it's against the rule. The apocryphal text called the book of Enoch was written before the time of Jesus, but was curiously removed from the Bible in the 4th century AD at the Council of Laodicea. According to many biblical scholars, the reason for this was most likely the controversy over these accounts of the fallen angels mating with daughters of men, accounts that the people of the time had taken as fact. But if the stories of the fallen angels are to be taken literally, how is it that spiritual beings were able to not only mate with humans, but even reproduce? If angels are what we think they are today, these non-corporeal, certainly non-human entities, what on earth, why on earth, how on earth could there be any interest in 
The reason why that would be the case is because that would imply that these creatures were not necessarily evolved here on Earth. They had come from somewhere else. You have to wonder if they're not half extraterrestrial, half human giants that existed here hundreds and thousands of years ago. Did ancient humans really have sexual encounters with extraterrestrial beings that resulted in superhuman offspring? They're called bionic boomers, seniors once riddled with debilitating arthritis pain, given a new lease on life thanks to Dr. Paris's unusual method for relieving stiff, achy joints. The transformation is absolutely incredible. I'll never forget when I saw Greg jumping on a trampoline that resulted in superhuman offspring. But if so, why aren't there giants among us today? Ancient astronaut theorists say the answer can once again be found in the Holy Bible. Because of the contamination of the human gene, God's experiment on Earth was thwarted. And God was not going to be thwarted. And therefore, he chose, I guess we can call plan B, and he sent the flood. In the Old Testament's book of Genesis, the story of Noah tells of how God saw that the wickedness of man was great and decided to destroy all of creation with a great flood. Noah, his family, and the animals aboard the ark were allowed to survive and repopulate the planet. But ancient astronaut theorists believe there is more to the story that can be found in the Book of Enoch. In the Book of Enoch, it's recorded that when Noah was born, his body shining, kind of like the glow of Moses' face when he came down from Mount Sinai. When his father saw this, he immediately was appalled and returned to his mother, accusing her of being intimate with one of the sons of God. According to the story, the father, Lamech, received advice from his grandfather Enoch that Noah is to be the future of the human race. Enoch says he should accept the baby as his own son because the guardians of the sky will destroy the planet with the great flood. And Noah is the survivor of the new generation. And Noah was a mixed creature between extraterrestrials and us. Now we are the descendants of Noah, so we all are part of it. This changed human evolution completely. I believe almost every culture around the world has a flood legend. There is someone in the place of a Noah. So therefore, the ancient flood has a vital importance. Because the world before the flood is very different than the world after the there are continual legends from around the world that in the pre-flood times, an advanced technological civilization where human beings were in with all of this was lost because of the contamination that occurred. Is it possible that the story of the Great Flood is not only true, but that it was caused by extraterrestrials who a human population that had been genetically contaminated? If so, 
Did this bring an end to sexual contact between humans and aliens? Or have extraterrestrials continued to experiment with our DNA? Mount Olympus, Greece. It is here that the Greek gods known as the Olympians were sent to reside. According to the ancient Greek stories, the Olympians often came down from Mount Olympus to intervene in the lives of mortals, feeding them in war, teaching them valuable skills like how to make fire and create weapons, and even mating with them. There are many, many myths of Zeus having sexual relationships with mortal women and the mortal women then giving birth to these exceptional children. Uh, for example, Heracles, also known as Hercules, is one of the children of Zeus. His mother was Alcmene, who was a mortal woman, and Zeus approached her disguised in the form of her husband. And as a result, she became pregnant and she gave birth to the great hero, Hercules. One of the aspects of these sexual relationships between uh, gods and humans is that the woman is almost always pregnant as a result of it. One of the most well-known of these encounters between gods and mortals is the story of Zeus and Leda, a pairing which produced Helen of Troy, the woman whose beauty was said to be the cause of the Trojan War. seduced Leda, who was the mother. The fact that Leda was coupling with a swan, even if it was Zeus, means that Helen was born of an egg. Helen of Troy is born apparently out of an egg. Now what is going on here? Through the lens of the ancient astronaut theory, we might be able to surmise that maybe Helen of Troy was a hybrid born inside one of those incubation tanks that many modern-day abductees have described. It's interesting to me to compare that to potentially an extraterrestrial event. Although most people regard the Olympians as purely mythological, the ancient Greeks considered them to be actual beings. This notion was made even more credible in 1870 when German archaeologist Heinrich Schliemann uncovered evidence that suggests Troy was a real place. Don't buy solar panels. Seriously. There is a very good reason why we're saying this. If you're thinking about buying solar panels, don't. The U.S. government will literally buy them for you if you take 60 seconds to answer a few questions below. Hi there. If you are a homeowner in America, if you're a and homeowner. you wouldn't mind saving a couple thousand dollars on your electricity you're a homeowner. bill, uncovered evidence that suggests Troy was a real place. Of course it was. As the progress of archaeology continues forward, we're validating more and more of these ancient Greek mythologies. So why should we arbitrarily induce bias into the research so well all the reports of God can't be true, even though we're validating everything else with actual empirical data? What if these gods were there? And what if the people of the time were directly interacting with a higher form of intelligence? 
Is it possible that the Olympians were not mythological gods, but extraterrestrial beings? Ancient astronaut theorists suggest that the Greek stories are more than just mythology, and as evidence, point to similar stories found in a culture thousands of miles away. Jiangxiu Province, China. It was here, in 247 BC, that the founder of the ancient Han Empire was born under mysterious circumstances. Lu Bong, later known as Emperor Gao, was said to have been the product of a supernatural conception. His mother, who was not pregnant at the time, got caught in a rainstorm. There were very large clouds of thunder and wind whipping up, and she fled under a bridge and shelter. Her husband went to rescue her, and he noticed that there was a dragon hovering above her. So from that point, she basically became pregnant with Liu Bang. He sort of had the appearance of a dragon as well. So many people believe that he was half dragon, half human. And Liu Bang was extraordinary in uh, other respects as well. He came from a, a peasant family. It was extremely uh, improbable for a peasant to become an emperor in those days. Liu Bang began Han China, the great empire in China. And so it was thought that somehow this child had not only human origins, but whatever came from this flying presence of the conception factored into who he was. These various descriptions of ancient flying dragons have similar properties to what we would today call a technological flying craft. A large body, sounds of smoke and fire and great noise. You have to wonder here if this covering dragon isn't some kind of fiery or lit up extraterrestrial ship that had hovered over her and ultimately she was impregnated by these extraterrestrial visitors. Is it possible that the conception stories of both Lu Bong and Helen of Troy are really accounts of aliens mating with early humans? And if so, were they part of a larger extraterrestrial agenda? Incredibly, ancient astronaut theorists claim further answers can be found with the deathbed confession of a pope. The Vatican, May 12, 1003 AD. One of the most controversial popes of all time, Pope Sylvester II, lies on his deathbed. Over the course of his four years as pope, Sylvester had proven to be both learned and innovative, having promoted the study of arithmetic and astronomy. But there were those who believed that the mysterious pontiff's scientific skills were the result of his having been in league with demons. black arts, and that he had built a robotic head from which he received secret knowledge. According to some accounts, with his last breaths, Pope Sylvester made a shocking confession that he was involved 
with a mythological demon called a succubus. Incubi and succubi are very commonly appearing in ancient mythologies straight through to the medieval times. This is not a one-off. It was a common feature of life back in those days. In ancient stories, the succubus is a demonic being that takes the form of a woman and seduces human men. This demon is also able to change genders and become an incubus, using the semen taken from men to impregnate mortal women. Incubi and succubi were said to come to people in the night in a kind of nightmarish experience of sleep paralysis. Wake up from a deep sleep and are fully conscious of their surroundings. However, they also are paralyzed. And there's a sexual component to this presence in that it is attempting to rape you. Stories of the incubus and succubus, uh, demons that appear at night to have sex with people in their bedrooms. There's often some fear involved, but you cannot resist or do anything about it. Vision problems? Hmm. Try adding this to a glass of water before bed. Scientists at the world-renowned Massachusetts Eye and Ear Hospital in Boston have been using this groundbreaking research to drastically improve vision. Most people assume blindness and vision loss are just part of getting older. Is that really... There's often some fear involved, but you cannot resist or do anything about it. The classic form of the incubus theory is owed to St. Thomas Aquinas. In several of his works, he discusses this phrase, children of the devil. For a child of the devil to be born, the devil is somehow going to have to steal viable semen from a man and inject it into a woman. Clearly, there are entities out there which have an agenda with apparently mating with human beings for their own purpose. Might these sexual predators be simply an ancient myth? Or could the legends be based on historical documentation? Maybe people with masks. Between 1480 and 1750, an estimated 50,000 executions of so-called witches occurred as part of the Holy Inquisition. An unrelenting war by the Roman Catholic Church against anyone they saw as opposing God's law. People who were thought to be engaged in a conspiracy to bring about the destruction of Christianity. Destruction of According to the Malleus Maleficarum, or Hammer of the Witches, Witchcraft began when women ceased resisting the advances of demons. Women accused of having sex with demons were tortured into confessions that revealed lurid detail of their sexual relations. 
If you had sex with a demon, you had given yourself to the demon, and therefore you would be forced, even against your will, to kill livestock, kill and eat babies, destroy pregnancies, make men impotent, and on down the line. Many of these reports from medieval times have similarities to a modern-day alien abduction. People report the same type of feeling of having some type of a sexual encounter. Could the confessions heard during the Inquisition and encounters with the mythological incubus and succubus be describing sexual relations with extraterrestrials? Some ancient astronaut theorists say that not only was this happening in medieval times, but that it still goes on today. <laughs> Modern accounts of sexual encounters with aliens date back to 1957, when a Brazilian farmer claimed he was taken on board a ship and coerced into having sex with a strange-looking blonde female with large eyes. One of the most famous and earliest uh, of the modern extraterrestrial uh, abduction reports is the 1957 case of Antonio Villas Boas in, in Brazil. And he claimed that a flying saucer landed uh, in his remote farm. Uh, he was taken aboard. Uh, while he was there, he had a sexual encounter with this extraterrestrial woman. That's one of the first abduction cases, and most interesting because it preceded all the others and wasn't well known until years afterwards. So you can't say that Antonio Villas-Boas got these ideas by reading Pope's literature. A few years later, in 1961, Betty and Barney Hill of Lancaster, New Hampshire, reported a famous abduction where they were placed naked on examination tables and by what they described as gray aliens who extracted eggs and sperm samples. Too many stories like that where one can dismiss them as simply saying, oh, all those stories are made. I personally think that many abduction stories are fake because people want attention, they want to be listened to, but at the same time to suggest that all of these stories are a hoax is it's too much. What we're seeing is a clear-cut through line between modern-day extraterrestrial abduction accounts and what we actually find in medieval times. There are notable similarities in these stories, and the products of that sexual conjunction appear to be used for a genetic interbreeding program. Are these incidents along with the incubus and succubus stories from medieval times. If so, are they simply the actions of rogue aliens, similar to the ancient stories of the fallen angels? Or might they be part of some greater plan? Perhaps the answer can be found with the stories of unborn babies that mysteriously disappear from the womb. Sydney, Australia, July 1992.
Peter Curry awakes to find himself paralyzed and unable to talk, but fully conscious. He feels a weight pressing down on him, and as his eyes adjust to the darkness, he notices a woman with very strange features straddling his body. I got the shock of my life because right on top of me was this female, a blonde female. She's milky white in colour. Her eyes were probably two, three times bigger than her human eyes. She had protruding cheekbones and a narrow face that narrowed down to a pointy chin. And on the side of the bed, on the corner of the bed, another female, Asian looking thing. And then she, the, the blonde female, touches her stomach and points to the sky. The visitors then disappeared. But not without leaving behind proof that they were there. A single blonde hair. Curry took this piece of evidence to an independent genealogy lab where biochemist Horace Drew subjected the hair to DNA analysis. The result was not what he expected. It was very unusual because most people's hair is yellow or brown or black, and this was optically clear like Nalan Fishnor. There's nobody who has hair on her which is optically clear. Normally a human hair only has one kind of DNA type. In the shaft above the hair, we got a very rare Chinese lineage about 1%, 1% of ethnic Chinese. And then the other part, we actually got blue-eyed, Celtic, light-skinned lineage. This shows authentically our unusual DNA. This is very rare, which could have been just a picture in the bedroom or off the street. The Curry hair sample yielded very unusual DNA results that just aren't easy to explain in normal, conventional human DNA sequences. Can't really keep dismissing it all as sort of fantasies of mine or sexual fantasies. Uh, while it didn't absolutely prove that it was alien because we're only dealing with one hair, it did nevertheless prove that we're dealing with something quite unusual. When we see DNA evidence in the hair of something that doesn't match up with what we would expect to be. Old Gaelic DNA mixed with Chinese DNA in blonde hair. The storylines don't add up unless we start to invoke the idea of abduction. Genetic interbreeding going back for many thousands of years all the way to the dawn of history. Could the unusual DNA sequence found in the hair sample be evidence that Peter Curry really did have an encounter with otherworldly beings? And if so, what did they want? Some ancient astronaut theorists believe the answer can be found by looking back at the medieval accounts of women being impregnated by so-called demons. According to medieval literature that warned of these demonic sexual unions, women's bellies would grow enormous following their encounters, but the fetus would often mysteriously disappear. In the Malleus, there are numbers of 
symptoms that get listed as proof of the reality of these demonic encounters between women and demons. One of them is a kind of medieval theory of false pregnancies. Kramer says that women who have had children sired on them by demons will sometimes find that their bellies are full of nothing but air. According to the Malleus, she expels a great quantity of wind and, of course, doesn't deliver anything living. To medieval Christians, this in and of itself, this phantom pregnancy with no progeny, seemed demonic, seemed wrong. But were these women really pregnant? Or was it all in their minds? pregnancies are reported even today, known in the medical world as pseudosiasis. Pseudosiasis literally means false pregnancy. It's otherwise known as phantom pregnancies. And in fact, it's so rare that we don't even have a clear understanding of its true prevalence. And we have two hypotheses to explain this. One is psychosomatic. So it's the mind making the body believe that it's right. The other hypothesis is just reverse of that. There's something that's happening in the human body that's making the mind think that it's pregnant. The thought that some women have reported pregnancies and then the fetus disappears, the initial speculation is it might be a phantom pregnancy, but there have been a number of compelling cases that argue that maybe there's something more to it than that. More than one of a UFO abduction followed by a pregnancy. But it turns out that a couple of months later, the pregnancy disappears. There is some evidence that the woman is reabducted, the fetus removed in the UFO, and the woman is All these, I don't know. How reliable all the stories are, I don't know. But there's enough evidence here to make me reasonably certain on the balance of probability that something like this is happening. Is it possible, as some ancient astronaut theorists suggest, that false pregnancies reported in medieval times, and even today, are actually the result of an extraterrestrial encounter? If so, what is happening to these unborn babies? Perhaps the ultimate answer can be found with the story of a man who claims to have met his child on an alien spaceship. <laughs> Las Vegas, Nevada, 1987. In the middle of the night, Brett Oldham and his girlfriend, Diane Swanson, are awakened by a loud bang. The couple, who are expecting their first child, are shocked to see a number of what look like great aliens surrounding their beds. Before we even had time to react to seeing the greys in the room, we were gone. They took us aboard the craft, they placed me on a table, and placed her to my right, and they had her in a position much like women do when they get an exam from a gynecologist. I realized immediately what was 
was happening. They were taking the fetus. I couldn't move my head. I couldn't move my eyes to see, you know, if, where he was at, and I could hear him screaming. That's when I realized they were doing something to me. We were just calling, just saying, please, please don't, don't take my baby, don't hurt us. According to Diane's account, the next morning she refused to believe the incident was more than just a terrible nightmare. But after finding traces of blood in her bed, she feared a miscarriage, and the couple went to see her doctor. When examined, Diane was found with no tissue remaining in her womb, as if the fetus had been surgically removed. He said, I've never seen anything like this before. It was like this woman was never pregnant. I went in to clean the womb, and the womb was already cleaned. Diane had been nearly four months pregnant at the time of this incident. If you're referring to a case where we have ultrasonographic evidence that the fetus was present, and then sometime later, there's no more fetus, I would think that's strange. What you have here is a ultrasonographic image of a human fetus at about three months of gestation. If you measure the, what we call, crown to rump length, which is the longest distance from the head to the butt, that's about five to six centimeters, so that's roughly the size or the diameter of a baseball. Could the body absorb fetus overnight? That's very interesting. How could the unborn child just disappear completely without a trace? Is it possible? that what Brett and Diane experienced the previous night really was more than just a bizarre dream. Most of the time, we would explain that by saying that the patient had a miscarriage. But in the event that there's not much bleeding and there's not much tissue, and yet the embryo is gone, I couldn't explain that. We were both kind of stunned when we left the hospital that night, and it, it took a while for us to start talking about if we remembered the same things. Three years later, Brett Oldham claims he was once again visited and taken by gray aliens. I was taken by two small grays to an area that I'd never seen. Within a few minutes, I could see that it was the female hybrid. She was carrying a small child with her, and as she got closer, I could also see that uh, the child she was carrying was a female hybrid. I did feel a bond with the child, which would lead me to believe that it probably was more There seems to be a good deal of relatively consistent evidence on the part of both male and female abductees that there's some interest in our reproductive process. There is also some evidence that abductees have been put in contact on spaceships with hybrid children who seem to have some human characteristics and some characteristics that aren't quite human. Might the stories of reunions with hybrid babies be not fantasy, but a conditioning process to prepare us for the day when the alien agenda is finally revealed. But if we are being subtly and strategically altered, where will it ultimately lead?
It would seem that extraterrestrials have been coming Alien to Earth agenda. for quite a long time and having sexual relationships with humans. And the reason for this is to manipulate our DNA, making us into the more refined race that we are today. And we still have a certain evolution to go. Is there another very heinous thing behind us? And that is, let's wipe out the Earth planes and put in this new breed that we can control. In my personal view, we are seeing extraterrestrials interbreeding with humans as part of a long-term interfamilial exchange. The human family goes far beyond life on Earth. Extraterrestrial humans may be coming here supply. It may literally be a question of life and death for them. Yeah. When I'm asked whether an alien sexual agenda exists or if there is anything that we can do to stop it, well, if such an agenda really exists, then I've got bad news for you. There's nothing we can do. Are extraterrestrials really interbreeding with humans? to carry out a secret alien agenda? Could they be upgrading our genetic makeup? Or are they experimenting with our DNA to one day replace us with a superior human race? Perhaps one day we'll discover that an alien invasion has been taking place on Earth for thousands of years. One being waged within our own bodies. Is that it? Stainmore, Northern England, a land of open skies, desolate hills, ruins of the old world. It's had many names over the years. Many people. In the mid-10th century, the winds of political change in Northumbria at his back. The last Norse ruler of Jorvik, Eric Bloodaxe, made a last-ditch effort to cross this moor, accompanied by his chosen men and armed retainers. Seeking to reach his allies on the Irish Sea, to live to fight another day. He'd never make it, betrayed and killed en route. A solitary monument left here on a roadside still marks the passing of that last great Viking ruler in Britain. The road he likely took, bits of it still well paved at the time, at least in part had been in use for close to a thousand years.
great highway built by the old empire which once ruled in these parts. Vast construction projects that link up their glittering cities and walled strongholds. Used, reused, and marveled at for centuries to come by people with little knowledge of building and stone. Today, as in many places in Britain, the modern motorway still cuts a swathe along that old path. For after the Romans abandoned Britain at the start of the 5th century, the continental heartlands collapsing around them, many of their highways continued in use, and many rulers would continue to hark back to that imperial majesty of days gone by. But in truth, it would be hundreds of years before any sort of comparable architecture would be attempted again. Much longer for an empire of comparable power to arise. Though bardic tradition often spins a different, more heroic yarn, and the tiny handful of written sources from the era add further trimming to the tale, Archaeology tells us that 5th, 6th and 7th century Britain was a post-apocalyptic landscape. Where once armies of tens of thousands had marched along well-paved roads to war, now bands of a hundred or less decided the fates of entire kingdoms. And to call them kingdoms, even, as we know the term, is often a stretch. Polities at this time often amounting to little more than a river valley, a handful of followers eking out an existence in the ruins of an old Roman town. But this isn't always the case. There are hints of much larger identities, too, particularly in the north and the west where the Roman way of life never really took hold. Much older traditions cling on. And in those years, this moor was no man's land, a frontier zone not just between rival states, but rival ways of life, opposing incompatible cultures. To the east, pagan Germanic settlers Descendants of imperial mercenaries, migrating boat people, and opportunistic Romano Britons alike. In archaeology, these pre coinage, illiterate newcomers can be seen in tiny riverbound settlements, cattle corrals, burial mounds, elaborate metalwork, and over time, by the year 600 or so, princely burials complete with majestic graveyards, the sign of the birth of kingship, power and ever larger political organisations. 
to the west of the moor, sheltered by the steep hills of Cumbria, enclosed by the windswept Irish Sea, sits the green, fertile valley of the River Eden. Once home to a kingdom truly worthy of that title, a last holdout of the old world. It wasn't Anglo-Saxon, and it wasn't really Roman either, but Wolfish. The massive land wall built by the Emperor Hadrian in the 2nd century AD across the entirety of northern Britain is perhaps the most visible remnant of the Roman world left here today. But a city on its western edge lingers on too. Once home to a city council able to dictate its own affairs. Today we know the as Carlisle. And there's a good argument for this being the last city in Roman Britain. For people continued to live here long after the Western Empire collapsed. Not only that, but several fortresses along the wall showed signs of continued occupation too. At Housestead, Vindolanda, and Bird Oswald, to name a few. So did these people see themselves as Romans? Maybe. But just as likely is their re-embracing of their own pre-Roman Lithonic culture. Further south from Carlisle, Lithonic place names of Penrith still hark back to that time. Celtic holdouts turning to old customs for survival. For the kingdom in question, which once ruled in these parts, and perhaps stretching north into Galloway to the north, the Pennines to the south, is a British name too, sung in songs for hundreds of years, all the way down to today. We know it as Regan forged in the fires and chaos of the 5th century. Their ancestors had been here long before the Romans had come. Their descendants would long outlive the Empire. Little remains of that ancient kingdom now. A scattering of hill forts, a handful of inscriptions and place names. The Britons with hey, scant no, little trace no. in the archaeological record. Stop it! But, according to many scholars, this was one of the most important of those British polypies to emerge in the aftermath of Rome. Arguably the most important of the Hen Ogleg, Old Nor. Just one of a plethora of rival kingdoms that arose in the wake of the Roman withdrawal. At some, like the Dobbin, modern day Lobian, we see older tribal identities re emerging. And others, like Old Crute and perhaps Regev, they are entirely new. Renegotiations of old tribal identities faced with the uncertainty of a new world.
Today, the hen outlet is largely forgotten in England. For the most part, no museums or monuments can be found on the landscape. And yet, the Old North lives on in a rich corpus of stories spanning 1,500 years, passed on one generation to the next. Tales like that of Yorian, Regeth's most famous king, praised in bardic tradition as a smiter of the Anglians in many battles, champion of Britain, and part inspiration for Arthur Legend. Which is based on the Druids. Okay. Um. The practice you are about to learn is almost never described publicly. What happened to that, um... Okay, ancient astronauts, uh, extraterrestrial gods of ancient antiquity. But what is very interesting for me all the time, it's not only in the Bible. You find the same story elsewhere, but we Christians don't know the text from elsewhere. You see, in the second book of the Kings, chapter 19, verse 35, Eric von Duncan. That an angel from heaven killed in gods. a few minutes 185,000 Assyrians. No battle, no fight, no mans against men. Simply 185 people killed. What sort of an angel is this? What has these Assyrians done ancient, against uh, the Lord? Eric von Daniken, extraterrestrial. Oh, you remember maybe Jacob, the biblical Jacob. So a stairway to heaven. Um, but as I said, all gods of ancient antiquity not only find in the Bible, you find it elsewhere too. For example, in, in uh, Egypt, you have always this uh, winged sun disk. And in reality, it was not the sun disk, it was simply a chariot. On a temple wall in Edfurt, it's written that the pharaoh was attacked by his enemies. But the pharaoh had a good friend, his god up there, so-called god. Because the pharaoh delivered to, to the so-called god gold and diamonds. Now he was surrounded by enemies. So the pharaoh asked for help to his god up there. And the winged sun disk flew down. And within a few minutes, like in the Bible, more than 100,000 enemies were there. Fantastic. Not a bit of. Also, this is shown in many pictures here. Ahura Azura Mazda, which fights from the sky. Now, how can we prove that extraterrestrials were here thousands of years ago? And there are ways to prove it, definitely. Even if we do not have an extraterrestrial object. 
I have to tell you now a story which takes a little time, but the logic in itself will come to the clues we have it to do with extraterrestrial. If you go to Thailand, as tourists, you go to Thailand, Bangkok, the main city, take your time to visit.